Gold medal winner with Team Canada, Kristen O'Neill, joins us on the show also. The Toronto Blue Jays, 91 games win, but they don't make the playoffs. We will talk about that and so much more, plus a new game. This is the Smitty and Mitty Show. And now... Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? Start your engines! 90% of the time, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. The show that's got everyone saying... You're so dumb, for real. With Smitty. What you just said is one of the most idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Mitty. I've been in this business 15 years. What's your name? you. That's my name. (laughs) This is the Smitty Mini Show. Boom. Smitty Mini Show back for another week here on your podcast networks wherever you're listening. Thank you for joining us and a big thank you to our sponsors Gold Line Curling, the choice of champions and Dave Middleton at Sun Life Financial in Kincardine. Life is brighter under the sun. We're not going to uh, mess around too much here on the show before we get into the interview because on the back half, we will talk everything Blue Jays as their season has come to an end. Not too many dry eyes here in the Smitty Mitty Show studio. We'll talk about that on the back half of the show. Um, Mitty, Kristen O'Neill joining us as we have a hockey guest joining us to flip the switch, if you will, from baseball to hockey. I mean, one of the biggest hockey guests I think we could have gotten women's sports. She is an up, uh, up and coming rising star within the sport. She's going to be you're gonna be you're gonna know her name for a long time to come in the Olympics and the World Championships. Um, she is someone to watch out for. But obviously, we're not gonna be able to get a baseball guest anyways because they're a little busy. Right Everyone's now. so busy, and that makes sense, right? So busy. But we're we are so happy to bring you uh, Kristen O'Neill today, gold medalist at the Women's World Championship. But like you said, we're not gonna mess around too much. Check out this mini mini show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Please give us a follow there. Uh, we're working on maybe a new giveaway. I don't know. We'll get there. We'll get there. But you're going to have to follow because you want to know when our live Movember show is coming up. Movember, that right is, around the corner. Ooh, that's exciting. Right that's around so the corner. Close. I'm going to have to get ready to shave. I have to get some beard stuff to make sure it comes the in. The worst part thick. about that is that I have to shave. I have to get rid of the beard and then my double chin appears. And You just got to gotta go with it, man. You just got to have You know confidence. what the best, the best part about being engaged is? You don't have to worry about that I don't care thing. anymore, man. <laughs> You don't have to worry about what you look like. Like I care, I care a little bit going into the wedding, just because I don't like. I want to get in shape a little bit, so You're people go on don't like look a four month grind before yeah, exactly. the wedding. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I might join you for like a quick little spring grind before the wedding, and just try to yeah, knock just so off we a look good pounds. for a wedding. Yeah. But after that, I could care less. Big Macs I'm, up for lunch all week. Like. I'm already tied. I'm tied down. Like whatever. I just don't care anymore. You know, I'm I'm a dad of one and a half. One and a half. I say that. Kara hates it when I say that because Addie is my daughter. But yeah. One and a half, right? Sure. If, if I was to leave today, I only have responsibility for one. <laughs> it's a terrible way to put it. It's true. It's true. Is it not true? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. As much as I wouldn't. I'm not saying I would for anyone out there who's like, oh, he's a bad guy. No. Addie, I love her so much and I would take care of her for the rest he's of my life. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. Can I, confirm. She is my daughter in my mind. I'm just saying responsibility wise, there would just be one. I'd be paying alimony for one girl. The fact that this is a conversation we're having right now always baffles my mind. Let's get into things, though. We'll welcome on to the show this week our guest, Kristen O'Neill, a rising star in women's hockey. As Tyler mentioned, you're not going to want to, and you're not going to be able to forget her name in the coming years. Kristen, thank you for joining us. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show this week. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. 
No, we're excited. Um, <laughs> first, let's start uh, where we start with absolutely everybody. The boring question. Uh, what got you into hockey? When did you start hockey? Uh, so I started hockey when I was, I think, four years old. And I have three older siblings, older sisters, and they all played hockey. My dad played growing up and he got them into hockey. So I sort of just, I was at the rink every day on the weekends, basically. Um and it just seemed natural for me to start when I got to the age of four or five. So, um, yeah, I would say my sisters got me into hockey. Now, were your sisters people that kind of kept you competing? I know uh, I grew up with two other brothers, and I know Tyler had a brother as well. And it was probably the biggest part of what made me, um, not to say I'm a, I'm a great athlete, but someone who kept me competing and people that kept me on top of my game. Were your sisters like that for you? Yeah, I would say the same thing. I mean, I would say now I'm the most competitive out of us four, but um, when I was younger, they would, <laughs> during when we played road hockey, they would stick me in net and um, sort of, I would get the grunt of things. But um, yeah, they definitely competed with me when I was younger. And obviously me being younger, I sort of had to um, get that, get that one step ahead of them so yeah they definitely made me uh more competitive growing up sticking in the goalie eh yeah. never, never had that problem I, I wasn't the youngest but i know a lot of did you, you stick make, your brother you in would make a great goal did you stick your brother you in definitely net? you have the, the thickness yeah. did you stick your brother goalie. in that did I? Oh yeah, I yeah. rifled pucks. It's definitely a youngest sibling thing. Yeah. yeah, I remember wet tennis balls coming at me. Like, like Mark, Ho- hockey balls cool. were the worst. Mid mid winter hockey balls are just frozen. frozen. Yeah. You have like a you have a baseball glove on one hand and just like a pillow taped to your hand on the other one. That was my goalie experience. You just wear them off the chest. The pads. Yeah, yeah. And you're trying to go in the butterfly, but you just pull everything. It's terrible. It's terrible. Um. I'm going to point out like the, for one, the weirdest thing, but I think this is the first time we're interviewing someone younger than us. That might be the first time that's happened. Honestly, I think so. Just, just as a side note, that's not a question. It's just a a general comment that this is weird. Um, (laughs) So I'm going to, uh, obviously uh, women's hockey isn't as um, far along, I guess, as men's hockey in the eye of the people Um, growing up. When did it become, it was going to become a profession. It was going to, you were going to be a professional hockey player. And because obviously there, there is a path for, for, uh, for men and boys to go through the OHL, to go through, you know, college, to go get drafted, AHL, NHL, there's, there's that ladder, but I don't yeah. think that really exists for women's hockey. It's a lot does tougher. It? Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely not as clear. Um, the path we women take in hockey, but honestly, growing up, I didn't really think about the path. I, I mean, like, I watched Team Canada play from such a young age and that was always a goal of mine and that was always like the end to my path. So, I mean, not knowing sort of the steps in between on that ladder, it definitely made it more of a struggle than maybe compared to my male counterpart, but I always knew what the end goal was. So, I don't know. I just used college as a, as a, ring in the ladder i used uh, i mean playing midget and junior um and even in the pwhpa last year so i think we are getting there it's just definitely not as clear um for the woman and hopefully um it would be very very nice to say that um younger females will have those more clear of steps for their um 
end destination in hockey. Now we're going to talk about uh, your, your career at Cornell and, and how you got there. But I wanted to ask, uh, when did you know that you kind of wanted to go the college route? It's, it's one of the biggest routes for women's hockey players to take if they want to play at the national level or, or eventually into the professional ranks. When did you know that college was something you wanted to look into? And when did you kind of start looking towards Cornell? Yeah, so you, you kind of touched on it. But for, for women, there's, there's really not um... – another choice I would say like I mean there's definitely a choice like which college you want to go to which university you want to play at but honestly it's like basically the highest level you can play like we don't have we don't have a substitute like males do so I mean I don't think going to college was really ever in question and um, I'm fortunate enough um, to be able to choose where I wanted to go but um, yeah so Cornell I think I've visited Cornell with my um a minor hockey team of mine I think it was like almost 11 years ago I actually was just looking at those pictures um, I have I visited Cornell and I think 2012 and I have pictures with girls I'm playing with now and I think I was in Bantam at the time so that that was pretty cool um but yeah ever since I visited 10 or so years ago uh, it was in the back of my mind that I was going to go to Cornell. And so when I got older and I started um, researching other schools, I, I kind of just always compared those schools back to Cornell. Um, and then in the end, um, in my grade 10 or 11 year um, in high school, I think I made a pros and cons list of all of my um, prospective schools and Cornell took it. <laughs> Now, I would not be able to do it, obviously. Um, but what did did the whole Ivy League thing come into consideration? Did it scare you away or off of it at all? Because it wouldn't me. I wouldn't want to do that. Yeah. Um, I mean, just that the thing about female hockey, again, is that um, a lot of the time we as females with not a lot of opportunity to make a living at hockey, um, you need a secondary job. And so I think that was always in the back of my mind when I decided um, to look through the Ivy League schools. Um, I don't know. I just never really, I knew I could get in and I, my grades in high school were good enough. So I think um, I just couldn't pass up the opportunity to not go. Um, yeah, it never deterred me. Obviously, I did go to an Ivy League school, but it was challenging and I probably would have liked any other school I went to, honestly, a lot of them have their strengths and weaknesses, but um, yeah, it was definitely a challenge, but um, I'm very glad I went there. Now you touched on how you went and, and visited Cornell at a younger age. And then finally uh, you made the decision to go to Cornell to play on the hockey team. What was it like, putting on the jersey, playing in your first game at Cornell, kind of a, a dream come true, if you will, of finally getting to step on the ice for this team. Yeah, definitely. Um, it feels like so long ago now, but it was – the experience of going to Cornell was incredible. Um, there's a really large fan base, like community fan base at Cornell, and I think that that really made my experience um, special. I mean, there's um, – young girls and boys who are always at the game and then there's 
um, seniors in the community who are always at the game. So I think that um, fan base and even the student fan base at Cornell was really, really special. And that made my first first game at Cornell and my last game at Cornell um, incredible. Now your first year went uh, really well, I would say, winning Rookie of the Year in um, in the Ivy League ranks. Uh, what do you remember about that year? What what when did it start clicking for you, making the jump from intermediate hockey into you know college hockey? Yeah, um, I was fortunate enough to have um, a pretty big role ever since I, I came to Cornell, and um, that was really special for me. I have a great relationship with all my coaches and, um, I was able to make an impact right from, um, the start of my career at Cornell. I played with, um, really great players, um, seniors who sort of took me under their wing, which was really nice and, and, and allowed me and helped me learn a lot. Um, so I think that jump from, from, um, high school playing junior hockey to university, uh, was honestly pretty big for me. Um, but I think just having the speed that I do, I was able to keep up and that really allowed me to learn quicker and just be able to keep up with the, with the skating. And then the, the quickness of the puck movement came, came soon after. (laughs) Now, correct me if any of my stats are wrong, because, um, uh, just don't feel afraid to, but third captain, um, in sophomore, the third sophomore captain in team history, obviously for anyone in Canada who doesn't understand the rankings, that's only your second year at the school. Uh, so how do you take that, that lead as, as obviously a leader on the team and only your second year playing in college hockey? Yeah. Um, it was a unique situation. I mean, I wouldn't really, I would consider myself still more of a lead by example type of player. Um, I'm not very loud and, I'm just not one to like speak up a lot in the dressing room. So I think like my work ethic and just the way I practice and show up to the rink every day was a huge, um, a huge reason for why I was, why I was captain in my sophomore year. Um, but I, there were three captains that year and two of them were seniors. So, um, we, we all had our strengths and I think it, that worked out really well because, we all sort of had different things to bring to the table and yeah, it, we, we, the three of us clicked and it, it just worked out really well. I think um, each team, every single year, all four years of my um, Cornell experience were, were very different and they all needed different things from different leaders, which was really cool. Um, and so I think I developed as a leader each year and um, yeah. How'd you find out? How'd you find out you were going to be captain? You were going to captain the team. Um, honestly, I don't remember. <laughs> I was really hoping it was a really cool story. I know. I, I honestly wish it was a cool story too. And I think my coach just pulled me in the locker room and before the summer. Uh, so my, like my freshman year. And I think he literally said, how would you feel about being captain? And I was like, uh, mm, I don't know if people will listen to me because I'm so young. But he is, he ensured me that there were reasons why he was saying this and it wasn't just out of the blue. So I think I gained some confidence from that conversation and um, just confidence that he would think that of me. So no, it wasn't 
too unique of a story. <laughs> Still a cool story. Yeah. It, well, it's interesting too. You say that you didn't think people would listen to you, but I find um, just from people I've played with over the years and people that you watch on TV that sometimes the best leaders and the best people, even if they're not the captain of the team, the best leaders of the team aren't always the most vocal, right? They're yeah. people that, like you said, can lead by example. Someone when you step on the ice and someone you see the work they put in off the ice, that can be the best leader on a team. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes like, especially at a young age, like when someone's a leader in your mind, you're like, okay, they're saying the pregame speech every game. And like, they're saying what's wrong. Like, why aren't we playing well? Blah, blah, blah. And they always have the answers, but that's not necessarily true. And I think that probably uh, correlates to everything like job wise, career wise too. All right, 2018, you make your uh, your senior women's Canadian uh, hockey debut. Obviously, a massive jump. I'm assuming something you were waiting to do was put on that Canadian jersey. Do you remember when you found out you made that team and that you were going to be on the ice with, uh, I'm assuming, some women that you looked up to for a long time? Yeah, so that experience was very unique because – so that was in Saskatoon, and uh, it was the Four Nations tournament, and I didn't – so I initially didn't make the team and then there were injuries and people couldn't come. People couldn't attend. And then they called me. I got the call when I was um, at Cornell at the rink for practice. And I got the call um, saying, here's the situation. We're going to Saskatoon in however many days it was less than five days. Um, can you come? And so I'm sort of, it was just, very out of the blue. I had really no idea that I was next in line um, for the position, but I said, yeah, of course. And, but I did have Cornell games that weekend. So I ended up going late to the tournament, playing in two Cornell games and then flying after my games to Saskatoon. And then I got off the plane and I put my hockey equipment on in the car. And then I went straight to practice <laughs> my first senior practice um so that was very nerve-wracking but I'm it was quite the experience and I'm I'm it was thrilling to put that jersey on for the first time that's that's the old Saturday morning practice yeah. change where you would show yeah. up with everything but your skates on and your parents are just dragging themselves with a coffee <laughs> and some timbits they're just like yeah, put your skates sleek. on yeah <laughs> they're like who is this person that's walking Showing in up. with all of her equipment on <laughs> yeah yeah, it was quite frantic, but I did make it for practice. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, when you left Cornell, you lead the program in shorthanded goals and game-winning goals. That kind of speaks to the type of player you were, that someone who could come in in the clutch when you needed to. Was that something that was, you know, something you developed over the years or just something that you kind of always had the knack for? Um. That's a great question. Honestly, I don't think the skill of getting those game-winning goals is something I have. I, I would just say it's just my competitiveness and wanting to win. Um, yeah, I mean, I was on the ice a lot in my university career, and I think so the chances of me um, – I don't know. I don't think it was a skill and I don't think it's something that I learned. I think it was just not wanting to lose and wanting to win, honestly, <laughs> as simple as that. And I don't even know if that makes sense, but, um, 
Yeah. Right, right place, right time. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> I would, I would assume you'd want to win and not lose. That, that would be my assumption. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's move on and talk about a, a little bit more about playing for the national team because obviously it's something that you would have dreamed about. You, you mentioned earlier on growing up watching the national team, watching these women play, compete at the Olympics, compete at the World Hockey Championships. And now you get to be up there and most recently in 2021 going to Calgary to compete at the World Hockey Championships. It's got to be something that you really feel proud about being a part of this team because when we talked to Cassie Campbell-Pascal, what was that, a few months ago, she said that the women's hockey community really is tight-knit, right? Mm -hmm. And you guys are so supportive over each other was there anyone that was a big you know a big uh, supporter when you first got there someone that greeted you that you didn't expect to come in there and be like hey welcome to the team um i would say um brianne jenner always gave me that little like shoulder tap tap on the shin pads um yeah so she's someone who she played at stony creek just like me in high school she went to Cornell. Uh, so I felt like I was kind of following her footsteps in her footsteps. She actually is from Oakville also. So we have a lot of similarities in our paths um, thus far, but I think she's, she's a great leader. And like I said before, she's not too vocal of a leader. So I think I, she always inspired me in the, just the way she handled herself. Um, so it was pretty cool when she was um, congratulating me and, um, just she was genuinely happy for me to be there. All right, we'll uh, we'll go on to winning the gold medal and, and celebrating here in one second. Uh, but before before I ask the happy question, I want to ask the sad question. Um, okay. Obviously, the, the World Juniors happen, and all these hockey tournaments are happening, and obviously bubbles can happen, and you see crowds coming back. But the women's game's getting pushed back. It's getting pushed around. It's not getting played. What was yeah. the feeling around the team when you know? all these men's teams are playing, but you guys can't get your world hockey championship in. Yeah. So there was a lot of emotion when it, when it originally got canceled. Um, I think a lot of those emotions were due, like, obviously we knew COVID was impacting everyone and everyone's lives differently. But I think the fact that the men still got their tournament and um that all these people were pushing for their tournament and it didn't feel like people were in support of us at that time. And we were probably wrong. People were supporting us, but um, it's just really hard to see the, just this plain and simple facts of our, our tournament getting canceled. And I know it was probably due to location and the men were lucky enough to be in the States and everything pretty open in Texas from the start of COVID. But um it just really felt like we were forgotten about and um, sort of alone in our, in our, in our fight for equality in our sport. So um, yeah, emotions aside, we're, we're very grateful that the tournament finally happened, but I think it was just pushed aside for, for too long. And um, it kind of set, I felt like it set our, set the female game back a bit, which is not great to see because I mean, we're, we're starting at a pretty low position in the first place. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, 
not to pat ourselves on the back, but we were screaming into the mic when it happened on this very show. And it, 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 it just, it made no sense. It was so blatant. It's frustrating for everyone. It was right? so like, blatant that it was purely about money. It was just the fact that the women's tournament's not going to make us as much money. The men's yeah. tournament is going to make us money. So let's do the men's tournament and we'll push the women back. Maybe we can get a crowd and make some more money. Like it was just, it was so obvious and it was, because it was so obvious, it was so frustrating. Nobody was trying to hide it. There was no hiding happening. It was just, this is what's happening. Deal with it. And there's nothing that could be done about it. Yeah, it was a very, well, I mean, the COVID year in general was just really like awkward in terms of timing for us. Um, I mean, we didn't, the PWHPA, we had that, but um, most of our, our games were canceled. So after that got canceled, it was sort of like a really, awkward time in our careers because we didn't really have anything to look forward to we didn't even know we were centralized yet um we had no games in the prospective future so it was just like a really um i don't even know the word for it it was just a weird time with nothing to look forward to in in our hockey careers and uh we had just been practicing for so long every day and we we had one thing to look forward to, which was the world championships. And so that being taken away was a really um, disappointing time. Well, let's put all put all the frustrations away and let, let's go back <laughs> yeah. to that happy moment this past August. Uh, finally yeah. getting to get the Women's World Hockey Championships in, out in Calgary. Um, and of course, coming away with the elusive gold medal. Uh, I don't want to be the person who just asked you the plain and simple question of, what did it feel like? But tell us about the run. But tell us about the, like? Yeah, tell us about the <laughs> ride. What was it like to come out on top with the gold medal? It was just like I said before, it was very emotional. I mean, um, for me, like I haven't really won anything with Hockey Canada in my career so far. I won two um, silver medals in the U18 program. And then um, we didn't really beat the Americans when I played under 22. So that feeling was very, very special. And um, yeah, it was amazing to see uh, the older girls, especially those who went to the last Olympics, because I feel like they just had, um, they were just so determined to win. Um, and then the looks on their faces and uh, just seeing them celebrate with one another was amazing. Just, just thinking about that, the loss they had and getting that silver medal instead of gold at the last Olympics and the previous couple world championships. So it was awesome celebrating um, with everyone too. Well, I did just as much, or I did yeah. celebrating as well. I I partake. You don't you don't want to say just as much because no, know I did, did not do just as much, but I partake for yeah, sure. Yeah, I doubt it, honestly. <laughs> it's just, uh, it seemed like such a fun group to be around. Like, was it as fun as it looked like to be with those girls? As as it made it seem like when we saw it on social media and TV. Yeah, it was awesome. I think this honestly, the staff had so much fun, and that was really awesome to see. I mean just like them taking photos together. And honestly, they felt like the athletes themselves. Um, so that was awesome to see our, our coaches really, really pumped up for one another and us and just everyone having a great time and just so thrilled with the performance. All right. I got two more and then I think we'll let you go. Is that all right with you? Yeah, Is that all right yeah, if I take two more? Okay. Um, first of all, obviously women's hockey has been dominated by the USA and Canada for a long time. You know, Finland's there. They, they have a really good team as well. Do you think the growth of having multiple teams c- competing for a gold medal would be, or how important would that be to the women's game to grow it? 
Yeah. So uh, it's really important right now. I mean, I feel like we're really focused on growing the game in Canada, but um, you often see international players um, developing in Canada. And then that's when the game really grows when they go back to their home countries, native countries. And then um, those developed players can help, um, can help just grow the game around them. And you see coaches from North America going to, I think they've, I think there's quite a bit of coaches who are from North America coaching um, Team China, Team Japan, um, Czech Republic. Um, So I think just developing players, um, whether it's just in grassroots programs and then they go back to their home teams and share their wealth of knowledge with others, I think that's really important. Um, Yeah, so growing the game in Canada is very important, but it it is awesome to see the other countries catching up and developing their game as well. So we only have like two minutes and you kind of answered my question there anyways, but, <laughs> but what, what do we do as, you know, the, the layman fans, what do we do to help grow the game of, of women's hockey? Watch our games. <laughs> All right. Well, check Mark. I've done that. Yeah. Uh, is that it? <laughs> That's it. I was over for a checklist. I just got one, one bulletin the checklist done. Yeah. Perfect. Um, honestly, I think just, I think a big part of it is just, making people aware of, of our games and, um, obviously televising more of our games. Um, they did a great job with the PWHPA this past, um, was it March? Yeah. In March, um, they did a great job televising that. So I think just putting our game on TV and on channels where people know about, (laughs) um, that's a good first step. ESPN Um, eight. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No one wants to flip through all eight to finally watch our games. Um, yeah, and then I think I mean from where from where I'm from in Oakville is a huge hockey town, and there's a lot of females already playing the game. But I think in more like remote communities, um, communities where there are already male players playing, is really important to um, invite their female players to play and. Hopefully there'll be enough players to make leagues in remote places like that. And um, yeah, just more opportunity yeah. for younger females to play too. And maybe a professional hockey league that, yeah. that gets some support from, from, you know, one, one of the, point. yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> gets maybe a little bit more support from one of the biggest hockey leagues in, in, uh, in North yeah. America. That could maybe help too. Maybe we'll push it there, but uh, that was, we'll wrap it right there. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. And yeah. uh, we are thrilled to watch you grow within the Canadian um, program and just, uh, Continue, yeah. continue, continue, to dominate. continue doing that. Keep going. It's more gold. I like the gold and I like the drinks that come after them. <laughs> you too. Thank you guys so much. It was nice to meet you. I'm Dave Middleton, a proud Sun Life financial advisor, and I've got some fantastic ideas for the money that's building up in your bank account due to COVID-19. Make more and protect more. Visit sunlife.ca slash dave.middleton. Goldline Curling is proud to support the Port Elgin Chrysler 2022 Ontario Tankard in Saugeen Shores, powered by Bruce Power, February 9th through 13th at the Plex in Port Elgin. Goldline Curling, the choice of champions. This is the Smitty and Mitty Show.
All right, back. Thank you to our sponsors, uh, the two you just heard. Thank you to Kristen O'Neill for joining us. An amazing conversation with an amazing woman and an incredible, incredible athlete. I'm very excited to watch her for years and years to come. And just, you know what? Smitty Mitty Show guest. Yes. We can say that. I love it when we see somebody on TV and we're like, eh. Talk to him. You know what? I'll send him an email right now. Someone's like, oh, yeah, I saw saw so-and-so on uh, the the pregame show with the Jays. Oh, yeah. Been on my show. Yeah? That guy beside him? Oh, Ben? Been on my show. Ben? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know know Ben. Been on my show. Good friend of the show. Good friend of the show. Speaking of the Blue Jays, let's just move in right now because it's going to be a while. We're going to do all Blue Jays post-mortem here. And something we're going to have to do every year because, I mean, it's very rare that you win your last game. But I do see that that could be coming sooner rather than later with this team, that you're going to be winning your last game. By the way, congratulations to the London Majors winning the IBL championship and to you, sir, for calling. There were some uh, raving reports on Twitter about how amazing your call was. I didn't watch it. I hear your voice enough. Mm. I don't care. I don't blame you. Even if I was watching, it would be sound off. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. My voice is not soothing to you. Hey? I, you know, it's just when I listen, I just want to be there with you so much, you know? We're such good friends. It was a blast. I thank you. It was a blast. And uh, How was the building? How was that? Like, I'm assuming the crowd was full. Listen, I've seen pictures. Here, here's the deal. And I'm going to come on the podcast and I'm going to say this because the season's over. Uh, Labatt Park capacity at 3,300 with COVID restrictions. There was not 3,300 people there. There was no way. I've seen that place on Pack the Park where had, it fits 5,200. I don't think they've had capacity limits though, right? Because they're an outside venue? They do still have the capacity <coughs> limits at 75%. And they were well over that. Like it was, that place was rocking. I don't think I've ever heard that park so loud. And I'm still 24. I haven't been there for, um, you know, when the Tigers were there and they won the Double A Eastern League. I wasn't there when uh, the Majors last won or whatever. But that place was rocking. It was great to be in. And uh, people, I actually got a question. Someone asked me, was it the loudest you ever heard it when the final eight was recorded? It actually wasn't. It was louder in the game. When Byron Reichstein hit a three-run home run to give them the lead when they were down three nothing early, like that was when it was loud because the fans were starting to get out of it. The conversations in the seats started to change away from the game. It felt like they were already down six when they were just down three. They scored a run and then the three-run homer. That place erupted. It was great. I was so excited. I can imagine. It sounds like you were excited in your voice. I've I've seen the videos, tons of videos of the 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 last uh, um out being made i've seen videos of the home run that you're just talking about and it looked like a whole lot of fun at that building i don't know if i would have felt safe being there to be honest with you <laughs> i was fine i was up in the booth yeah it's fine for you and i don't think there's anything wrong with it if, if you feel safe to go down to you know a packed park and sit shoulder to shoulder you can do whatever you want i don't know if i'm quite there yet but it looked like a, a lot of fun are you getting a ring are you gonna get a ring i'm not sure yet haven't heard haven't heard i'm going to the team barbecue this upcoming weekend so there's gonna be some some drinkies some and, drinky poos and uh, some like, hamburgers. We, bo- <laughs> we both <laughs> some hamburgers are always good. <laughs> we both have a whole lot of friends on that team too, and uh, I'm just happy for them because there's a lot of nice guys on that team. And 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 Carlos also, yeah. I see getting engaged. I know he's games. not listening to this podcast more than likely, we'll tag but him. I'll tag him in it. Make sure that he listens because congratulations to him. Got down on one knee, doused in beer as he proposed <laughs> to his uh, now fiance. Uh, don't know if that's how I would have done it. What but, was he going to uh, do if they lost? Right, like, was it just getting pushed back? Yeah, like, I guess like, they weren't getting engaged. Was it anymore? not going to happen? Yeah, or they were just going to do it, like, still do it. Who cares? Like, everyone's sad, but oh, just out in Carlos. the parking lot after as everyone's crying. Yeah, I don't know. What was the backup plan? We need to. We need to text Carlos to find out what the what, what plan yeah, B there was. There was a backup plan. There were, there's no way. The teams oh. played ten times throughout the regular season and postseason, and the home team won every game. So if you're a betting man, 
You'd think they were going to come away with the win in that game. We also both know Carlos, and we both know there was no plan B. No, God, no. You did not think further. There than... probably wasn't even a plan A. That was all probably you just You don't think like, it was his rig? <laughs> <laughs> just found one. He found one, and he's like, perfect. Perfect timing. <laughs> great. Wasn't planning this on this, is great. Uh, I'll stop ripping into Carlos. Great guy. Congratulations to him once again and uh, the London Majors. But let's talk about these Blue Jays um, as we're going to throughout the back end of this show. The 2021 season comes to an end. This Toronto Blue Jays team wins 90 baseball games. 91. And they will be out of the playoffs. You're not sad about it. I mean, I'm not really overly sad, sad about it. How can you be sad? This team how, uh, overperformed. See, it's like how often I looked it up. How often does a 91 win team not make the playoffs? It's not very often since the wild card was introduced. That I mean, you can look at the Dodgers, who were, I think ended with 106 wins, and they are going to have to play in a wild card game, which is incredible too. But I mean, there's four teams in this division who finished with 90 plus wins, right? Like how you can't you can't be sad, and it really came down to the Boston Red Sox. I hate the hated like. I don't know who the color guy was on that game. Oh, he was so painful to listen to. It's not even that. I can deal with just homers. It was that he was terrible and he was a homer. You know what I mean? Yeah, he was. He was. Boston guys generally, whether it's uh, hockey, baseball, um, whatever it is, man, they're generally homers. And a lot of a lot of broadcasters in the States, if you're not on a national I broadcast, that, are. I get that. But, but like, be good. he was like, he, he just didn't make sense a lot of the times. And he just kept on saying, this guy wants to strike out at the plate. What? No. What? Who wants to strike out? Nobody. Like that, what's a terrible analogy? Nobody. It's not even an analogy. Like, it's just terrible. It was frustrating. I mean, I'm sure our, our judgment was a bit clouded. And the Tampa Bay Rays, one of the best offenses, I think the best Shut offense in the, in the second half of the season, can't score a run to help out the Blue Jays a little bit to get those dreaded Yankees out as well. But either way, you know what? I don't want to look at the negatives too much because this team had an incredible year. Let's not forget they played in three different home ballparks. There's so many situations where this looks different, where they get one extra win. I mean, they went through that whole swing on the West Coast where they they played the Angels in Seattle and they were in Washington and they scuffled. They went below 500 in that swing. One more win there and you're at least playing 163. Well, I mean, you can sit here and you can do that no matter what the situation George is. George Springer they, plays 75 games this year. If he plays 100, how much different is it? If he plays 80, how much different is it, right? Like, you can you can shuffle these cards around however you want. But at the end of the day, the Blue Jays will not get to play postseason baseball this year. And we're all right with that. Like, this is not a bad thing. you got to keep in mind, this team I don't think was expected to be a 91-win ball club the, this yeah, year. That's what I'm saying is even next year, because this is still a development year, next year... You know, no, no matter if you get Simeon or Ray back, I don't know if you get either. I don't know if you want either. I don't know what's going on there. But this team with Barrios for a full year, hopefully Springer, who can stay healthy for a year because, you know, he's played 162 before. And you, Vladdy, being Vladdy that we've seen, you know, keeping the pounds off and being the MVP style Vladdy that we saw this year. I mean, this team has a 100 plus win potential. In this division, like the, the the Red Sox and the Yankees are obviously good teams and the Rays are the best in the AL and they st- had to play those teams however many times in total and they still came out with 90 plus wins, 91 wins. It's incredible. And this team that like with a full year of Barrios, the sky is the limit for this team and they can still go out and they still have money to add. Like there's nothing to be sad about. I got a question for you and I don't know if we're talk about this later on. There's <sighs> a lot of people that whenever this happens, they say, 
We need to abolish the divisions. We need to get rid of the divisions in baseball. Do you think that this is something that would solve the problem? Obviously, it would change things around. But you got to keep in mind, even if you put the Blue Jays in the AL Central, for example, the White Sox won 93 games, and they won that division by 13. Right? So, like... I think it, but does I think that, is be, that better for but, you? Yeah, but does, I think, does that make for better baseball? I like I, the fact that we see the Yankees and Red Sox and Orioles, and that is what I'm saying. I love the fact that we're in the AL East because it makes you actually have to be a great baseball team to not only get out of the AL East but compete in the playoffs. Right? There's certainly teams in the past, and certainly will be teams in the future that are in the AL Central, the AL West, whatever, in the National League that get out of their divisions without really being a fantastic baseball club. I would just, uh, I'm just saying, I would, I agree. I would rather play meaningful baseball against good baseball teams than, you know, win 91 and win the division by 13, like, uh, or 93 wins or whatever. Like, I I just, it that doesn't, the opportunity to miss the playoffs by one game, but it'd be a 91 win team just seems so much more appealing to me than having to play crappy baseball teams. To have to play the Texas Rangers that many times in the year and just beat the absolute piss out of them and don't and don't get this wrong by any means the jays don't technically get to play any postseason baseball but what you saw in the last week is postseason baseball that is an exciting brand of baseball that you see in the month of october late september like that that it might as well have been playoff baseball it might as well have been i got a new game for you new game i want to introduce it into the smitty Mitty show repertoire that we can do every now and then I don't know what I'm going to call it. I'm going to call it Would so you, you Bring Us a New Game You Don't Have a Name for. I got it. I'm nothing, going to call it Would, new would You Rather. That's our name. We need like a little show tune in the background. I, f- I feel like Would You Rather is already a game. It's time for a new episode of Would You Rather on the Smitty and Mitty Show. Tyler Middleton reading two options to Noah Smith that you'd like to see for next year. Most of them are things that you could keep from this year, but there's a couple options. You know what I mean? So mm. here, as an example, and this was my first one, Would You Rather... Next year, see Vladdy hit 48 like he did this year, or Teo hit 113, have 113 RBIs. Well, I only get to pick one? Yes. That Would you rather? It's not would you want both. <laughs> can we can we have, can we we play the would you want both game? No. Okay. Uh, I think I'd rather hit Vladdy hit 48. I want to see him continue to be that guy. Vlad, I think, is the person that the Jays want to be the, fans of, the face of this franchise moving forward. They want him to be that guy. And I think him hitting 48 is where they want him to be. That's why they got him. That's why they built him up through the minor leagues as a star that he is, had a little bit of a rough start in his major league career, and now he hits 48 home runs. I'd love to see T. Oscar hit 113, but if he can stay around 80, I think that's a great year for him as well. The only thing I'd push back to is that I don't think Vladdy needs to be a home run hitter, and I really don't think he is. Like I think this was this is going to go down as the... I think it's going to go down as an outlier year for him where we look at it and go, wow, he had 48 home runs that year. Like, I wasn't high on him to be a home run hitter in the first place in this year. I would re- much rather see him produce at the plate and have that eye that we expected rather than launch 48 home runs. I think if he sits around the 30 home run, 30 to 40 in there, like, obviously that's going to play all year. Well, the people don't – players don't just hit 48 home runs every season. It is going to end up being an outlier year for sure. He's not going to hit 48 again next year. I'd be very shocked if he does. But I think he can be that guy that kind of sits around the 35-40 mark 
for a good chunk of his career. I do think he has that because he hits the ball so hard. Let's not forget the minor league stadiums they played at, too, were bandbox. Like, Dunedin was a home run park. Buffalo was a home run park. Balls fly out of those ballparks. And I don't know how many of those home runs don't go out if you're playing at the Rogers Center. But I would assume, my, my guess is there's probably three or four that don't leave the Rogers Center just because of, you know, simply the, the at Dunedin, the small um, grandstands means that once the ball gets over that, it's going to get caught in the wind. It's going to carry more than at the Rogers Center where you don't have that kind of wind being a big dome. So, like, let's not forget, to where they played for the first half of the year and where a lot of his home runs came. Sure, but I still think he's going to be that guy that can hit. Uh, let's say you take off eight home runs, he's still a 40-home run hitter. That's Which is still fine. A fantastic The question season. was, would you rather him? Would you rather see Vladdy at 48 or Teo at 113? I'd rather question. have Vladdy hit 48. All right. That's my, that's my would you rather. Then we're moving on to the next. Vladdy at 48 or Vladdy hitting 311? Vladdy hitting 311. I'd love to see him stay up there. I'd love to see him be the guy that can hit. If you were to ask me if I'd rather hit Vladdy hit 48 home runs and bat 270 or have him hit 311 and hit 35, I'd rather take the 311. Okay. That's the answer. That's no. as simple as it is. I like it. So, Hun Jin Ryu, two more years of him, 164 innings pitched this year is the most home, or the most innings pitched he has ever um, had in his career, but he posted a 4.390 ERA. So here's my question: Would you rather see Ryu back at 164 with a 4.390 ERA, or Ryu throwing a little less at 150 but having a 3.50 ERA? Can I go off the board and say Ryu back in Los Angeles? That's a ridiculous take. <laughs> I hate watching him pitch, man. That is stupid. I, I love hate, watching. Him I pitch. hate watching him pitch. He's so all over the place. He's so inconsistent. How much of Ryu's year came from? not having the sticky stuff. I don't know if that question has been asked enough. Cause I feel like there was quite a dip after, I mean, we saw Ryu start off the year against Garrett Cole in the very first game. It just diced the Yankees up and let's, he was good against the Orioles. He was good against the Yankees last time. out. He wasn't the Ryu we expected from last year. We finished third in ERA voting, but I think if you get this year, if you get 164 innings and a four, nine or four, three, nine ERA, I'd like to see that down near four. Sure. But I think that that's something you take because he's going to end up being your third starter if you don't go and get another guy. He's your third or fourth starter. Sure, making some money, making a good chunk of money. But would you not mind Hung Jin Ryu eating innings and being a four ERA, you know, an RA Dickey type, making a little more money as your fourth starter? Yeah, but that's kind of the ceiling where I'd like to see his ERA. That is I'd as high as I'd sit, like it. I'd rather him sit like three five. Well, to like I'd rather four. I'd rather it be a one five. Okay, sure, everyone would love that. But like, if we're asking, like, uh, I don't love him sitting at four or five. I don't think that is the type of guy but that the, is worth that kind of money. The he does need is, to lower that. The trade off is he threw innings. So that's what? the trade off. Would you? My my question is: Would you rather see him throw innings? And have a higher ERA or have small, shorter innings, not make every start, get pushed back every now and then, but have, you know, almost a run lower. I guess I'll take the the innings. I'll take the innings with the higher ERA because that is tough. It's tough to come by to get guys that can throw innings. It's tough to come by to have a guy that can be out there every fifth day. That's exactly what I think. Let's move on. All right. A couple more here. I got three more. Free agent class is coming up. Would you rather see a shortstop free agent signing by this team? A reminder, Corey Seager, Trevor Story, some of the guys that are out there ready to be signed. Or would you see a third base trade slash sign? 
and that's including Chris Bryant or a trade, um, or trade for Jose Ramirez. I and I know there's a lot of people that might feel differently. I do think Bo Bichette is the shortstop for this team moving forward. I really do think he is. I don't think he plays a terrible shortstop. He hits the ball well. I think he's going to be the guy that the Blue Jays are going to lean on going forward the next few years. I don't think they go out there, and I don't think they get another shortstop. It showed with Simeon being a second base for most of the season that they would like to see Bo Bichette at shortstop. And until he proves otherwise, he's going to be there. I would rather see them go out there and, and get a third baseman, whether it be Bryant. Uh, I know we've talked about Ramirez on the show a few times. I'd love to see him bring them o- see them bring him over. I think third base is a better option to look at on the infield. I do think Chris Bryant would be fun. I don't think he's an option, though. Uh, Ramirez, I think, is your best option. And yes, as a shortstop, Bo wants to play short. He's been very honest about that. And he has made... I mean, we were down on him to start the year because of all the errors he was making. He was a lot better in the second half. Speaking of frustrating, some of his at-bats are very non-competitive, and that does get frustrating. There was a point where I think he swung at 12 out of uh, 14 pitches in a game. Like, that's ridiculous. So he needs to, I think he needs to rein that in a little bit. But it's also the I think free, that's a young player too, And the free-swinging right? thing is kind of what makes him as dangerous as he is. You take the good with the bad. So I agree that they need a third baseman just because I don't think Bo wants to move or is willing to move. And I don't think you're going to go get, you know, a Carlos Correa to put him at second base. So I kind of think that you get a third baseman, I think... Um, Santiago Espinal moves over and biz- and is your second baseman. I and think he looked good this he year. He did, and I think Biggio does get that opportunity to be to play into the spot if Espinal, you know, struggles off the bat. Um, but I think those two guys are kind of your plug and play middle infielders, second baseman, and then you go get your third baseman. You got your shortstop. Your first base is obviously locked, and this team looks pretty good without having to go spend money on a guy like Simeon who doesn't want to play anything but short. No, he doesn't want to play anything but short. I think we forget sometimes because we looked at it years ago. It was Vlad. It was Bo. It was Biggio. Those were the three, right? Now, Bo, he's a star. Vlad, He's a star. Biggio's kind of lagging behind, and I think people are assuming, or people look at it, and they're like, oh, Biggio didn't have what it takes. I just think he's a little bit behind the other two. I do still think he's going to be a big part of this team coming forward, and he might be able to slot in there at second base. And let's not forget, uh, he was injured for a lot of the year. Battling injured. He was forced into a third base position he hasn't played before. He's not comfortable at, and that makes a huge difference. I mean, just let's just look at George Springer when he was DHing versus playing center field. Being in a spot where you're comfortable running off the field and taking your at bats makes a big difference. So Biggio being at third, I think, kind of forced him a bit to focus a lot on his defense and not a whole lot on his offense. And he wasn't taking those swinging reps because of the finger and back and oblique issues that he had this year. Um, so I think he is an option going into next year. I just think Espinal has to be an option too because he was so. I good. think those two can. Those two can, you know. But keep him at second base. Keep Bijou at second right? base. I'm done trying to make him, you know, into something he's not. He's a second baseman, and he's got he's going to have a, a, a 390 on base, and he's going to you know hit 250 because that's just what he is. I'm okay with that. He can be that. But and you keep can him ha- at second base. You can, base have, that on, you can have that on your team, right? 250 is not a bad batting average. It's kind of like right around where you expect some guys on your team to be. I mean, Shohei Otani is going to win an AL, AL MVP <laughs> in 250. <laughs> don't get me started on that. Please don't get me started on that. All right. I'm, let's, one gonna, more. Give me one more. Give me one more. One more? Okay. I got two more, but one's going to lead into a bigger conversation that All I right. wanted to ask. All right. Anyways. So you asked that one last. Okay. okay. This one. Not going to surprise you. Charlie Montoya, any other manager in the MLB? What? <laughs> I know what your answer is. 
give Charlie the boot. That's what Mitty says. Listen, I say you give him... I want to say give him another year. What's left on his contract? Did he resign? Uh, yes, through next year. Through next year? Yeah. I think you give him next year. I think if Blue Jays aren't a playoff team next year, then you might have to look at finding somebody else to fill Charlie's shoes. Well, the conversation somebody becomes th- next year, not if they're going to make the playoffs. It's they need to make the play. It's not, It's are they going to win the division, not make the playoffs? It changes. It's just such, such a tough division. It is. But I think the Red Sox were just an anomaly. Like, I, I think if you play that out a hundred so- times. The Red Sox were not a team that should be hosting a wild card game right now. No. They were. No, not with we, that rotation. I mean, even when we watched them, we watched them Sunday, game 162, struggle to beat the Washington Nationals. That is not a team that should finish one game ahead of the Toronto Blue Jays. No, I, but it's a team. It's a team that didn't have to switch homes three times throughout. I the season. do believe, and it's you know it's hard to say this, but I think the Blue Jays ended twenty seven and eleven, I believe, at home uh, at the Rogers Center. If you played this whole season out at the Rogers Center, I think this is a division winning team, not a playoff making team. That's I think that's how much of a difference that that would have made. We keep saying it, but I just I, I still in my heart believe Charlie Montoya was a negative two, negative three on the year because of some of the bad decisions. And it seems like not game planning he had. It seems like there were times where a lefty could have been used out of the pen, but there just wasn't a lefty ready because nobody thought far enough ahead to get somebody up. That's what it felt like. Uh, And even if he's a negative two on the year, that is the difference between making and losing a playoff spot. How many times throughout the course of this show have we talked to, um, whether it be people that work around the Blue Jays, people that write for the Blue Jays, people that follow the Blue Jays that say, that Charlie Montoya is the puppet that we kind of know him to be, right? Do you think that has anything to do with it? Do you not like? Do you not believe that he isn't really the one making a lot of these decisions, planning these things, doing those game plans where it just seems like he was off? I give him a pass for lineups, and I give him a pass. You don't give him the pass for the in-game stuff. No, I. I no matter what your sheet says, I think there is a part to feeling a baseball game. And this is this is where I get sketchy with Charlie Montoya is because I feel like it's not that he can't make those decisions. It's that he's not allowed to make those decisions. That's not in his, his job is to stand there and do what the sheets tell him to do. And I don't know if he can do better, but that is the nature of the job is I don't care if you can do better. I care that you didn't <laughs> do I don't care if you can, but do better. If you can do it, then do it. You need to be able to feel out a game. You need to be able to know that Reese McGuire should not be hitting in the eighth inning of a game that you need to win. You need to know that. You need to be ready to pinch hit for him. I don't care what the sheets say. I don't care that he has a hit already in the game. You need to know that he is not the hitter you want up there. It's all it's about that simple. It's all about feel. All right, hit me with this last one here so we can uh, uh, we can kind of move on, finish up uh, on the show this week after a few more conversations. What you got? The final one. Would what, you what, what is this game called again? Would, Would you, you rather? rather? Would you rather? I used to play this in like high school all the time. Ray or Simeon? <laughs> Ray or Simeon? Uh, are we assuming that like we get them back on similar deals? What? Like, give me, give me a. Give what do you a, mean? Like, are you going to pay both of them the same, or what they're making this year? Like, if you were to say you get Ray for three years, no, or you get I'm Simeon a, for three years, or I'm, I'm, what value, what market value is going to be? I think you're probably going to be a five-year deal for Simeon. Somewhere in the twenty million dollar a year range, and I think you're. Gonna you don't be... need to explain it. It's Ray. It's Ray. I don't think. First of all, I don't think Simeon 
wants to be back unless he is going to be the guy at shortstop. And he's not going to be. And he is not going to be the guy at shortstop. The Blue Jays, um, I think, are are high, and I think they are um, they are stuck on Bobichet being their guy. Like I said earlier on, I think the Jays want Bobichet to be their guy at shortstop. So I don't think that they want to spend the money to bring Simeon back here. And I don't think Simeon wants to come back unless he's going to be at shortstop. So I think he's going to find his way back out to, you know, maybe it's California or whatever. Um, I don't think Simeon's back. So I think the Jays have to go after Robbie Ray. And I think they have to make a big push to get him back because I think if you can pick him up for the next, uh, you know, three to five seasons on a good deal, I think he can be your guy for three or five seasons. That helps you uh, hopefully make a deep playoff push. Um, I don't want either. Why do you say that? Because Simeon... Too much I, money? Simeon, you're right. I don't think he he's going to want to because he wants to play shortstop. He calls himself a shortstop. He wants to play shortstop. He's not going to come back to play second base. Ray, this is such an anomaly for him to be a probably what is going to end up being, I think, a Cy Young Award winner. Um, He's had so many struggles in the past. He's got the stuff to play. But are you sure bringing him back at the deal that it's going to take is going to be worth it? My problem is right now you're probably going into the year with Barrios, Manoa, and Hanjin Ryu as your top three starters. I think you go out and you get Steven Matz back. I think he's a good option. You still have Stripling if you want to use that. You can go out and explore some other well, middle you tier mind, pitchers. Some guys coming up in the minor leagues as well. You want? I don't. I think their pitching in the minor leagues is, is a bit thin. I mean, you still got Pearson, and Pearson looked damn good. And I think that's a conversation we can have too. Is is Pearson stay in the pen, or does he become a starter again? What are they going to do? Is it's the Sanchez question? Um, but you still have Pearson there, and this all kind of it kind of lays on the fact if you're going to do a th- trade for a third baseman, you know what pieces are going to go back, and there's so many options here, or so many um, different situations. But I just think Ray. The, you can't overpay for him. If you're going to bring him back, you cannot overpay. You make a competitive to even a home discount offer. If you want to stay with Pete Walker, who changed your life, do it. Stay here. You're going to take a little cut, but you're going to stay here for five years. Robbie Ray strikes me as that type of guy, though. Or he was the first free agent to sign for a very um, team-friendly deal at the in the offseason, right? So I do think that that's an offer there. I just don't want you to overpay. It's a team... It's a team-friendly deal, or you're moving on. And we can use that money to go get some back-end relief help. We can use that money to keep Steven Matz. We can use that money to get a mid-tier restarter, because you don't need that ace. You have it. You have a couple of them. I think Manoa is an ace. I think yeah, Barrios is an got, ace. And Hunjin Ryu is paid as an ace. And this was a, was a bad year, obviously, for you. You hope he bounces back a little bit, but even as your third or fourth starter, I mean, he's played well. So I just think the pieces are there. Don't pay the money for those guys and overpay for um, just because of this season. Be willing to spend that money other places. Does that and make I, sense? Yeah, it makes sense. And I, I, I honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if the Jays get him for a, a decent price, a, 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 as you called it, a team-friendly price. Because I think he knows what happened here, and I think that he knows that Pete Walker changed the kind of the course of his career, if you will. Obviously, he could probably go out there and he could probably get paid on a a three, four year deal, whatever it is. I think he also kind of wants to be here in Toronto now that this kind of COVID season is past them. I think, um, and that they'll be back at the Rogers Center for, for full season. 
I think he wants to be with this team because I think he knows that this team is, is close to, to possibly doing something special. Is Pearson a reliever or starter next year? This is a whole conversation. Just like, quickly, give me one answer. Next year, he's a reliever. And I think if he has a good year in relief, I think he stays there. I want him to, but if the Blue Jays want him to be a starter, which I think they do still want him to be a starter, it, he can't spend a whole year in the pen. Whatever he does next year is going to be what he yes. is going to be. Which is why I think they're going to force him back into the rotation. I don't think it's the right call because 102 plays. <laughs> like, it plays coming out of the bullpen. Like, uh, the same thing as Aaron Sanchez. Look what happened with him. Injury problems. You know, obviously he had a, the lowest ERA in the, in the AL uh, the, in 2016, but after that, the injury problems derailed his whole career. So don't do that to Pearson. Find your reliever in your organization, right? Let's keep you need you need a solid reliever. Let's keep Pearson in the bullpen. Uh, you you have start go get a starter. I don't. It doesn't need to be Ray, but keep Pearson in the bullpen. Uh, who wins the uh, Who wins the the World Series now? Who wins the World Series? <sighs> The Tampa Bay Montreal Expos race. Expos race. I think Tampa Bay is the year. I think it's Tampa Bay's year. I, I've always been surprised at how they get to the record that they are in regular seasons and the success that they have. And of course the run that they had last year getting to the World Series. I, I do honestly think this could be Tampa Bay's year. I do think they're the best team in the American League. If it's not Tampa Bay, San Francisco. It would have been so fun to see San Francisco win the Blue Jays in the World Series. It would have been so fun. Yeah, it would have been fun to see the Jays and anyone in the World Series. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Astros, Dodgers, World Series. Dodgers win. That's it. We've gone a half hour on the Blue Jays here. This, uh, to fit what? You have more? I just wanted to point out here, we did our Blue Jays preseason show, um, and we had to guess the season-ending records, and of course, the season is over. So you want to review those, Mitty? You want to want to see who is closest? I know I won. Well, you didn't win. I won. You were off by two. <laughs> but I didn't. I did go over. Price, is, price is right. If we're Kevin playing won. Price is Right rules. <laughs> Kevin is correct, even though he said that the Jays would go eighty-five and seventy-seven. Mitty said that the Jays would go ninety-three and sixty-nine, and I said that the Jays would go ninety-five and sixty-seven. So. All in all, you're pretty damn close. Give yourself a pat on the back. Well, thank you. I, I also said Vladdy was going to lead the team in home runs. Yes, but you said with like 32. I said Vladdy was going to lead the team in home runs. With 32. I said, you were off by 16. I also did say the Blue Jays weren't a home run hitting team. They set a franchise record. <laughs> you win some, you lose some. Yeah. Take it with a grain of salt. Uh, that does it for us this week here on the Smitty Mitty Show podcast. Thank you for listening with us this week. I know it's a lot of Jays talk, but hey, their season is done, so you probably won't have to listen to us ramble about the Blue Leafs Jays. Leafs talk coming up. Uh, Mitty's going to talk Leafs. I'm going to talk about uh, the Sens. <laughs> so short conversation. Short conversation. Uh, so yeah, lots of hockey talk coming up, and a big thank you to Chris O'Neill for joining us this week. One of the rising stars in Canadian women's hockey. So a pleasure talking to her this week, Mitty. Give us the sponsors. Let us know. Oh. Give us the socials. This is how you do. This is how we end off the show. I was, I was, I was. You're doodling. coloring. You're coloring on your page. Uh, thank you to Dave Middleton. Sun Life Financial Life is brighter under the sun. Gold Line Curling, the choice of champion. Sponsor of the 2022 Tankert in Port Elgin, Ontario. Tickets on sale now. They're going hot and fast. So make sure if you want to go, check it out. Hot and fast. Smitty Mini Show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. The Smitty Mini Show on YouTube. Reminder. 
Uh, our Movember show is coming up in November, obviously. We'll release a date later on, but make sure you keep an eye on that and also keep an eye out for giveaways, which we will be getting very close to. If anyone out there uh, has anything they want to give me for my wedding raffle, feel free. I'm always, uh, I'm always, uh, I'm always. I'm always I'll give you a Smitty Mini Show shirt. I think I have a couple sports memorabilia already. A couple of our former guests are uh, are willing to donate some stuff. So. Ooh. Are you going to tell me what they are? Tease. Do I have to wait and see? Well, let me. You can tell me after. Don't okay. tell the, don't okay. tell the folks here on the podcast. Thank you for listening with us this week. We look forward to talking to you again. As always, remember, check out the TV show this upcoming Friday. It's an exciting one as we talk to uh, both Freddie Wallace and Rick Doyle, uh, members of the Owen Sound Attack and the London Knights, as the Knights and Attack meet in Game 1 of the OHL season. It's an exciting one. Check it out on Rogers TV, both in London and Gray County this upcoming Friday. That does it for us this week here on the show. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week.